Well, guys, we are in the book of Proverbs tonight, so hopefully you got a Bible, and if so, you can make your way to Proverbs 20, or, <coughs> excuse me, we also have this little Bible booklet that most of you know what it is, but again, a quick reminder, in essence, just doing Proverbs is kind of a challenge because of both its, uh, just the way it rolls from verse to verse, and so we thought we'd try this for the book of Proverbs, so simply put, this is Proverbs chapter 20. We've printed one of these booklets for each of the chapters, and so it would give you the ability to follow along with us, uh, as well as just maybe mark it up in a way that would be more free than you'd want to have as a permanent record in your Bible. And so those are available in the back if you're needing one of those. If you're joining us online, we want to make sure we reach out to you and say, this is also available for you. You can go to our website at calvaryroswell.com, go under the messages, and under today's message, there'll be a little download uh, link, click that, and you'll just download the notes, which will then be the PDF of this booklet that you can print out or just use it on an electronic device if that is helpful. One way or another, our goal is just to really cause you to be able to follow through. So we're going to just invite you, you know, however you want to do it. We're going to follow kind of a, a color coding system that will work good for us here in this room, but you might not have access uh, to all those colors right now, and so you can do it differently. But what we want to look for is those things which are good, both as a focus and reality, those things which are bad, those things that are just statements of truth, statements about God's character, and to watch how each verse just flows. And so we're going to use some of that. And again, if you want to you know, use some of those things as well, great. If you have your own system, great. But in one sense, just inviting you to be able to dive into it this evening in a way that God would meet us, help us understand and then apply this truth into our lives. And so you got it open there before you. I hope we have a Bible. Let's go before him right now and ask that he would give you and I that which we needed to hear from him tonight. Father, we think about tonight and just coming into a section where we're studying the book of Proverbs, just moving chapter by chapter through the Bible. And here in the book of Proverbs, in one sense, a very different book, and yet just recognizing you gave it to us on purpose. You gave it to us as it is, in a place where you would want to communicate to us wisdom. God, help us to hear it. Help us to understand it. Help us to grab these things, let it wash over our lives. Let it meet us in spaces where we are. Lord, help us to, to understand the verses that we cover tonight, but more than that. God, is your children that you know personally and individually, and that you're at work in personally and individually. Would you help something tonight just to land very personally, whether it's a verse or a half a verse or word that just would be so clear from you to us that we would know tonight that you've been at work, that you're the one that's opening up your truth to us. God, I cannot do that, and I love that you do that. And I long that that would be the reality that we'd both know this evening, both honoring you, giving you glory for your good faithfulness, but hearing what you have for us. Lord, would you work that right now in our hearts, anything that would keep us from that, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, that would deaden our hearts or keep us back from that. Would you touch, heal, work, so that fully present with you we can be tonight, asking for that for me and for each of us here, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a phrase in the book of Mark that describes Jesus that sometimes just rolls across my mind when I'm both praying and thinking about things that I long to be. And it simply just kind of looks over what he did and it says, He has done all things 
Wow. And then simply, it is true. Christ, Jesus, he is perfect. And if you could watch his life and you could watch how he handled his life, you would understand. I mean, everything he did, he did right. I mean, he handled people, he handled days, he handled situations, and he, and he did it well. That's a good space for us to kind of gaze into tonight as we head into the book of Proverbs, because in many ways, that's the aim of the book of Proverbs. And the aim of the book of the Proverbs is to help you and I navigate life and to do it well, uh, to do it in wisdom, to do it in a way that uh, what God would have for us, he would have. And yet at the very beginning, I want to just say this, if all this was was information, it wouldn't work. If all this was was telling us, hey, this is the right way to do it, and didn't God didn't meet us in that, it would leave us empty. I think about Jesus when he was describing it. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. It's this amazing thing that Jesus takes the whole scripture and says, you know, when you think about these from cover to cover, if you think that these all by themselves or the truths by here are going to give you life, it's not going to work. Everything in here is drawing you to me. Everything in here is, is, is going to draw you to Christ. So that has to be true everywhere, and it has to be true here in Proverbs as well, that we come at these things not in a place of just thinking, okay, now that I know this, I can do it. Uh, hopefully, the more you understand, it's like, well, that's not going to work. I mean, yes, I need to know it. I need to know truth, and it's partly how God works, but one of the things He does is compels us into our need of Him, that we would recognize, Lord, I, I want to be somebody who does everything well. I want to handle situations well. I want to walk through life well, but I can't do it without you. You know, without abiding in Christ, there's no way. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And so wherever this meets you tonight, it needs to meet you there. If there's something that God does, it's like, okay, yeah, this is good. It would be terrible if you walked out of here and said, okay, I got it. Like, I'll do that. It's like, I could just tell you, well, I can tell you it's not going to go really well for you. You know what I mean? I can tell you trusting in your own strength is going to leave you undone. You know, what it should do is like, God, I see what you want and I need your help. I need Jesus. I need you to abide in me. I need to walk in the Spirit so that I can do that thing that you're wanting. I see it, and I want it, but I, I'm looking at it tonight in a way of saying, God, do this in me, and let it compel you to Christ. Let it draw you into Him so that that which He's seeking to cause you to do well would be done in dependence upon Him. May God lead us into that this evening. All right, well, we jump in there. To verse 1 of chapter 20, it begins this way. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We look at this, we understand, he gives us these understandings, he says, okay, wine, strong drink, this, this place of looking at what this is, he says, that's both a mocker and a brawler. It's a mocker and a brawler. And then he helps us understand, we kind of put the little conjunction into the and, and he simply says, whoever is led astray by it, now watch. Now, without spending a ton of time on this, I'm just going to approach this in a way that both believing that for many of you, you're, you're, you're familiar with this biblically. And so let me just say, you know, that biblically drinking is not, 
you know, forbidden for us. It's not a space of saying, no, drunkenness is. Drunkenness is always held throughout Scripture as that which is wrong, but for, for people to drink alcohol, it's not unbiblical. It's not something that the Bible totally outlaws, and so this, this evening, isn't talking about that in the sense of, like, never have this, but just talking about this aspect of it that would lead into drunkenness. Now, again, I don't know where you are with that, and I recognize even around this room, there's differences of opinions. Uh, some of you are, are fine, you know, with alcohol. Others are not. I mean, if you're asking, because someone might even ask, Jim, where are you? I, I, I don't drink alcohol ever. Uh, it's just a space where I've been led to in a space of kind of that First Corinthians of, hey, I care about other people. I don't ever stumble somebody, and so I'm really careful about that. That said, neither do I have a problem if somebody, you know, just approaches alcohol in a way that's just, you know, they're having a glass of wine with a meal or something like that. But here's the deal. There's a line. There's a line. There's a line that crosses when it, it moves from just enjoying something of God's creation to where it begins to become a hindrance, where it begins to become drunkenness, and that is clearly sin. Every time it's sin. There's no space that God ever allows that. There's no space that God would ever endorse that. And so it tells us here that's what this is. It tells us there's this space where, where that wine, where this strong drink, it can move and cross that line. And it does so in two ways. Two ways Bible students kind of look at this. One of them is it mocks and fights those who abuse it. It's as if to say wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. It's as if it would look at you and say, hey, you, you, you abuse this. You go after this. It's going to mock you, and it's going to beat you up. It, it, it's going to mock you. It's going to lie to you. It's going to tell you, oh, this is fine. Go ahead. It's fine. And then it's going to be destructive in your life. It's going to be one of those things that, you know, just destroys and, and works havoc. And the simple case is, sadly, for many of you in the room, it's like, I know. <laughs> Either it was your personal experience or you know somebody. It's like, I've watched it. I've watched it pummel them. I've watched them. I've watched it, you know, lie to them and then bring in destruction. That's what it does. It, it, it's horrendous. It does it all the time. It does it all the time. Alcoholism is absolutely huge across our nation. You know, it, it's, it's impact into lives, into families, and, and death. It's absolutely huge. And we just have to say it is. It's a liar. It's a mocker. And it's a brawler. There's another aspect of it that some Bible students point out that not only does it do that to us, but that's what it produces, that alcoholism and its way in that causes someone to both move into a place of mocking God, mocking his ways, mocking others, and, and being both a, a fighter and one that's causing problems everywhere it goes, and without doubt, certainly true. Now, I say all that, and some words in the midst of that, I don't think anybody here would be totally surprised by that. I don't think anybody's like, man, I had no idea. I had no idea that alcohol did that to people. I had no idea that alcohol caused those kinds of problems. No, I, I think in one sense, it has to be certainly understood. And so that's exactly where it comes. It says, if you get led astray by this, well, you're not wise. I mean, I mean if you let alcohol, you know, do this in your life, that's dumb. I mean, that's kind of the idea. The opposite of wisdom is folly. The opposite of wisdom is living a foolish life. He says, it's not that you didn't know. It's not that you were, you're like, man, I had no idea that was going to do that. Never, I, you know, yes, you did. Yes, you did. And, and so he says, if, if that's the place it is, that's a dumb way to live your life. That's a foolish way uh, to move forward because it will hurt you and it will cause you to be hurtful. And he's just saying, don't go there. 
Don't go there. Don't let it become a part of your life. If it is, may God rescue you. He can, he does. May he do that even tonight. If there's any that are in that space, let it just be as clear as it can be like, this is a dumb thing. Stop. Don't go down this road because it is destructive. And, and may God rescue any that are in, even just tempted down that road. All right. Well, leaving that, as Proverbs does, we jump into the next verse. It says, The wrath of a king is like a roaring lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sends against his own life. So the first part of it really all flows together. It's a statement that getting on the wrong side of a king, it's, it's as if, you know, this one who has power, who has authority in the midst of it, and it's this picture of fear, of impending doom in many ways. Interesting enough, some of you might have been with us when we were in chapter 19. It's the same phrase. Uh, that's used in chapter 19, verse 12, although the whole verse isn't that way, just this first part of it, that says, okay, this is what it is. This is, you know, recognize that, you know, to, to be on the wrong side of this would be this. And so in one sense, he just says, if you understand this, whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. Like those who have power and authority says, I don't know, don't poke the bear. I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't cause problems. Don't, don't, just, I mean, if, don't, if you recognize how this works, don't put yourself in that kind of space. I mean, don't do that in a way that you would recognize where that would go. And that's true as we think about lives. I mean, certainly the Bible calls us to that, to kind of honor and respect within our government. Lots of said in the New Testament about that. But we could go further, but I won't spend much time except to say so much more so the one who does have ultimate authority. So much more so to recognize that, that, that to be on, on the side of his wrath is damnable, it's dangerous, you know, and, and to provoke him through, you know, a life kind of, it would be, it's never going to go well. And so there's just a simple sense of saying, recognize that. Don't be the foolish one that would step into those kind of spaces that God would rescue from that. Verse 3, it is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. I like this one. I don't know. There's a lot of these, but sometimes you just, I, I love the way it says it. It's just so clear all by itself. Probably don't need to add to it, but we'll just notice it. This is honorable. This is honorable. This is what the Bible says is honorable, to stop striving, to, to stop fighting. That's honor. He says, since, what the, the reality is, is this any fool, like anybody can be a part of this, can start a quarrel. This is a needed understanding. It's not a hard one to get, but it's a needed understanding because we live in almost a, a culture that's reversed this. You know, where right is called wrong and wrong is called right flows even into this. And so we have a culture that many think that it's honorable to start fights. Like it's just honorable to be quarrelsome. You know, and so people do it all the time. I mean, it happens every day on social media. It happens, every, you know, people like, and they just, you know, you know, just you know, ready for a fight, you know, somehow just to be cruel, to walk in those things. And, and indeed, there are times where biblical honor would compel us to stand up for what's right, but not a fight. I mean, it's speaking the truth in love. It is, it, it's speaking truth, but doing it in a loving way. Anybody can start a fight. I mean, anybody can, can be quarrelsome. I mean, our whole world knows this. And so what he calls us to be is the kind of person that says, no, I can step away. I, I know how to stop it. I, I know how to not compel this thing going further. I know how to, you know, step into that kind of space where it's not going to explode into uh, just whole, you know, stale, just 
tearing other people down. And may God just cause it to be. I, I just want to be clear. I, I love this. I wish I saw it more. I wish I saw it more. I mean, it's, again, for me, I, I don't spend a bunch of time on social media, but the little I do spend, it's like, man, like people are mean. You know, and it's, I mean, it's like rare that you find somebody actually be like, you know, stopping a, a quarrel and, and being there. And I, I watch it happen in people's lives. I get a chance to w- look over people and families and friendships. And, you know, it just, you know, I would love to see it more where you could almost watch somebody step into a situation and diffuse it. You know, like, hey, let's just talk for a second. Let's just, and, and, and you know, and, and just through humility and, and through gentleness, stop it. And, and you know, I, I've seen it a few times. It's not that I've never seen it. Certainly want to walk more in it. But it's one sense for us just to value it, to sit there and say, I would like to be that kind of person. I would like to be the kind of person that, you know, helps people, that helps friendships, that helps people walk in that so that, you know, that I don't, you know, throw fuel on, on everybody else's anger, that I don't, you know, anybody can do that. That's easy. But to, to learn how to say, I, I, I know how to stop. I know how to say, you know what, this is, you know, this is stop. We're not going to go down this road. We're not going to enter into these spaces. And that would be an amazing place that God would long for us in a world that seems just bent on being destructive and tearing each other down. May God just help you to understand the value of going other than that. That you would, again, because our world is saying it differently. Our world is saying that it's honorable to argue about everything. And, and I just tell you, it's not. It, it's not. There's not a space for it. There's a quarrelsomeness that's happening in crazy ways in our world. May God rescue us from it. We'll flip the page. If you're following along in the booklet, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter, and he will beg during the harvest and have nothing. One of the key things that Proverbs over and over speaks about is the person who is walking in laziness. And so it gives us just tons of pictures of it. This one's pretty simple, so we won't spend much time. It says, here's this lazy person. And, you know, then in the winter, which would be really in Israel from, you know, the, the way they would look at that is from October to about, you know, in the March area, the places where rains are happening, the places where crops are being, you know, both plowed and planted. He says, here's this lazy person and says, ah, it's cold, you know, ah, I don't know if I feel like doing that now, you know, I don't, I don't want to wait till another space, he says, here's the thing, you know, then you're going to beg, when, when harvest comes around, there's not going to be anything there, you're not going to, you're going to have nothing, and yet there is so many there, there's so many that would live only for the moment, it's only like, well, what do I do now that I get out, instead of saying, no, I'm going to do something now that's going to benefit me in six months, you know, or six years. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of it in something, and yet laziness is so evident in our culture in so many ways, and so he just simply says, it's a bad way to live. May God rescue us from being lazy. Verse 5, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Counsel, I'm going to put this in a blue line because in one sense I would just say it's a statement of fact counsel inside the heart of a man. He says, it's like deep water. It's like deep water, but out of that, a man of understanding, and I'll use this one in green because this is a good thing, someone who's walking in this understanding, he will draw it out. So pretty fascinating proverb that actually is, you know, some debate among Bible students in the midst of it, and maybe probably speaking in a couple of different areas, but let me just press into them. So one of them would have the understanding that the word counsel can have the idea of the one that's making plans. Um, some would even say it has the idea of motives. 
And, and so the idea is that what really even motivates us? What, what really is the core of who we are? It's, it's this deep well that it's hard to even fathom at times. It's hard to even figure out, like, why do you do what you do? Like, what, 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 what makes that whole thing tick? And it's not always so easy, obvious to any of us, and yet he says, here's this space where someone who has understanding, who can really walk in, in biblical wisdom and understanding, can sometimes help us to draw that out so that we can see what's there, so that the very motives of our lives and hearts could be exposed. I like that. I think it's partially true. I certainly believe it's true that one of the things that God is doing because that's something he's interested in. Not just what you do, but why you do it. That where Jesus would talk about in the sermons on the Mount. It's not enough if you just didn't kill anybody. I really want want you to deal with the anger. I want you to deal with the motive that would eventually lead to that space. I'm actually after dealing with what's deep inside of you. And so that needs to be drawn out at times so that it can be dealt with. But there's another aspect of this proverb that's possible because it is, again, this understanding, this counsel, this, this plans or this, this place of, of figuring that out. And he says sometimes it's there, and a person of understanding sometimes can draw that out. And some have kind of put that there's an incredible value into being what we might say is a wise listener, the kind of person that can, you know, counsel somebody, and it's really funny when they can do it. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a few people I, I know who have this. I don't have this spiritual gift. I don't, I mean, I, I, if he ever works it through me, it's great. But I love watching those who do it. And they can, like, counsel somebody, and the person doesn't even really realize that they're being counseled because they're just, you know, asking questions. So, oh, so what do you think? So you kind of, th- and, and they're just kind of drawing. And so the person ends up counseling themselves. Like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's probably wrong. Like, oh, that's, you know. And they have this ability of, of almost listening so that the, the wisdom that the person needs, it's, it's like it's just, it's welling up with inside of them. And it's like, so let's walk, so you really believe, well, yeah, I guess I really do. And, and it's a funny deal, because I've been able to be a part of those few things, and sometimes I've, I've heard this whole thing and really realized that the person who was doing this gave very little advice. I mean, they just, they, they knew how to ask questions, they knew how to kind of, and, and yet the person who ends it will be like, man, you're the best counselor ever. You're like, you just so helped me. It's like, and I'm like, well, actually, you counseled yourself. You know, it's like, actually, you just needed somebody to help you process, your, you know, what you knew to be true. And, and at the end of the day, and there's value in this. And I, and I point this out because maybe all of us are drawn to be there at times, but some of you might be there more than others. Like, that's part of who you are as a spiritual gift, that, you know, getting to walk alongside others and say, hey, I just want to, I want to be an encourager. I want to be one that comes alongside, maybe you have that gift of encouragement that's talked about in the New Testament that comes alongside and, you know, sees what's inside of people, and you're kind of like, yeah, come on, I, I see it. Let's get it out. Let's, let's encourage you. And, and, and it's a powerful gift that God would work in the midst of that makes it great. Now, all of that is wonderful, but I want to just even t- point it in a different way because I think about everything that's here and this man of understanding, and you probably fully know this but this is who our God is to us. I think about a man of understanding, and certainly that's what Christ is to us. And I think about one of the verses we were praying about earlier when we headed into our time of prayer, where it simply says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And he's speaking of Jesus. He says, Here we have this one who is the one that we get to go to, this one that we get to look at our high priest, and he knows us. 
He, he can sympathize with us. Part of his becoming man, part of his, his, his you know, 33 years here on earth that, that lived that way, gave him an insight into us, this understanding of who we are. He says he's perfect in all that. He says if we get that, then let us therefore come boldly to the throne of Christ, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Said simply, the best man of understanding is the man of understanding. It's Christ. And he says, if you get this, he understands. I mean, that's one of his, this is what makes him such an incredible high priest, so that we could come to him and say, God, here, I need, I need help. I need you to, 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 to work into my life. And, and he says, that's exactly what he does. And, and just inviting us into that space where often that is what we need. You know, think about David when he writes that Psalm 139, which is an incredible psalm, just considering God's work in our life, that he knows everything, he's working in our lives, he's everywhere, all powerful, incredible places. And he ends Psalm 139 this way, just saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. I don't know how you read that prayer. I don't know if you look at that and think, well, that'd be scary. I don't know if I want that. And yet, I hope you would. I hope you'd be able to say, God, I, I don't even, I don't know if I know myself. You know, I, I'd like to, you know, but I, I want you to search me. I want you to, I want you to be that one of understanding that draws out my heart, that, that helps me, you know, you know if, even if sometimes it's the things I didn't want to see and, and it brings up those anxieties or angers or whatever, like, let's do that. Draw it out and then draw my life into a good space. It is so often what we need. And so it's really calling us to this, that there's this place where what's needed is that one that would be that. And so again, Jesus is this 100%. May he be that in your life. And yet, before we go past it one more time, again, for some of you, this may be his, his part of his purpose in your life. And just learning to grow there, to, to learning to say, okay, I want to be, um, I think about Barnabas who had that gift of just a son of encouragement, to be able to see, be someone who could see it, come alongside and encourage it, encourage things to come up out of people's lives, figuring out who they are, what God has for them. It's an incredible space and certainly very, very needed. All right. Well, going to the next one, verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? So it's a pretty one of the Proverbs that isn't really a comparison between two things. It's just one single statement. And so it just lets us know a statement of fact. Most people, um, each will proclaim his own goodness. In the Hebrew, this could be understood as, as not just most, but really all. It's a way of saying, you know, pretty much all of us sometimes, you know, have a propensity of thinking, eh, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm good. I mean, I think I, I try to do the right thing. I try to be a good person. I, I, I try to work in the midst of that. But he just says, but who? I mean, where can you really find one who is faithful? Where can you really find one who is that? And, it, and it's this reality that uh, for in the, in the broken world that we live that in one clear way, both this is rare in righteousness, but absent in its entirety because of sin. That there is none that is this way. There is none that's be there. And we'll get more of that as we continue here in this chapter, because that's certainly some of this. But he's he's drawing us to just see it this way. He says, you know, most people think it this way. Most people would say, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah I think I'm this. But he says, no, you, but where will you really find that? It's not really found there. In fact, let's just keep going because I think it'll be helpful. 
as we kind of put these next few Proverbs together. So on the next page, you get number seven that gives it to us this way. A righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. So we just ended the other proverb before this, saying, where would you find somebody who's faithful? Where would you find somebody who's doing the right thing? And it says, okay, here you have a righteous person, someone who's trying to do the right thing, living the right thing, and they're walking in integrity. They're being someone who is living that life out of, for lack of a better definition for an integrity, what you see is what you get. You know, there, there's not a hidden agenda, there's not a pretendence, there's not a hypocrisy. Um, you know, I do what I say, I, you know, I keep my word, I keep my promises, my yes is my yes, my no is my no, uh, kind of in the midst. He says that you, if you have somebody's right, that's what they do. And he says his children are blessed after him. He says if you could look at this and just say there's this value of, of seeing integrity and its impact as it flows, uh, specifically in families, which is certainly true. I just want to speak even just for a moment to the, the, the dads, the fathers here, and say this is one of those ones that should be yours. It's like, that's what I want. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the person who is a person of integrity, and I want to see it just, just flow into families, that maybe this is one of the spaces that where it's meant to flow, can flow in powerful ways. Some Proverbs, some translations of this have it, not just the idea that they're blessed uh, because of that, but maybe they're blessed because they follow that that there is the understanding that you need, when, you, when you show that, when you shine that, so often it teaches um, your children to walk in the same way, kind of what we'll see later in Proverbs, train up the child in the way he shall go. Yeah, you know, just like, hey, live this out, walk this out, and watch that replicate, watch that be a part of that. And so he's certainly calling us to that kind of integrity, to, to being people that would watch that flow out in our lives. And may it be so in us that that, that would be what we are and, and what people see. Then in verse 8, a king sits on the throne of judgment and he scatters all evil with his eyes. So you look here and the idea is the king who is meant to be there is meant to be the ultimate place of justice. Now, again, in our culture, it's hard because it doesn't actually work that way for the most part within the way that we do uh, justice systems. But in those days, it could happen that you would have, you know, uh, cases almost kind of like moving up the court cases till, you know, getting to the Supreme Court in that day would be sitting before the king, that there were issues that, you know, nobody else could figure out. And so the king was the, admin, the, the final uh, arbiter of all right and wrong. Now, Again, that would be great if all kings were godly and, and a part of it, but that said, he sits there. And he says the point of that, the power of that, is that that king should be able to scatter all evil with his eyes. And it's this powerful picture of what it's meant to be, how it's supposed to be, that just to be there, just to be there before the king would be like, okay, this is right, this is wrong, and, 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 and bad things can't stand here, and it's certainly not meant to be the part of that. Now, again, our problem is that human kings and human leaders fail in all of this, but how much powerful a picture of this is in our king? In fact, I found myself thinking of the picture that's given to us in Revelation when Jesus is being revealed uh, there to John, and he's getting to see the unpacking of the end times and everything that's going to come in those spaces, and he, and he sees this image of Jesus this image of the Son of Man whose head and, and hair were white like wool, as white as snows, and, and his eyes. Just this flame of fire. And you need to see that in this image because there's a, a true sense that is he looks out upon us. Nobody. 
There's not anybody who gets away. There's There's not anything he doesn't understand. There's not anything he doesn't see. There's not any, you know, place of, of evil that it, you know, could somehow get past his understanding or, or his holy gaze, and both in the way that he's working now and, and the way that he sees that, that his understanding of that is perfect. Now, you probably know that, but I just want to press it for a second. You know, part of the problem with sin is that so often it's a hidden thing. It's a, it's a space. I mean, there's, there's the, the sins that, you know, we talk about in Timothy that, you know, everybody sees, and there's the ones that nobody really sees, and the things that are happening behind the place. You know, sometimes things that we know, sometimes the things we don't even know. I mean, sometimes that hidden counsel in the heart that we were talking about, it's like we don't even know, uh, you know, the pride or the jealousy that gets into spaces. But it's worth just pausing and making sure that we get that basic biblical truth right here. He does. You know, he does. Like, there, he doesn't look at you and go, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, like why you do what you do. He's like, I know. I know why you do what you do. I know it's in your life. There's not, I mean, his gaze is holy. I mean, his gaze is pure. You know, I think about that old statement, you know, that you can, you can deceive, you know, all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, and you can deceive God none of the time. He knows us. Like, I mean, there's a place of coming before him and his holiness where you would be able to say, God, you know me. I mean, I don't, there's incredible trepidation in that, but it's also an amazing space to step into God's holiness willingly and say, God, you know, you, you, you know me. You know, everything there is about me. You know what I don't even fully understand. And, and yet in that space to be able to, you know, both have him work, but even in the midst of this, that just scattering evil, just dealing with things that are in the midst of all this, just recognizing that that's the, the, the place that we stand. Now that probably builds. Again, these, pre, these few Proverbs kind of flow together because that t- takes us to the next proverb in verse 9, where it just simply asks the question, so who can say, I have made my heart clean? And I am pure from my sin. Who could say this? I mean, who can? I mean, this is this question, like, who could do this? Who could say, you know what? I, I fixed myself. You know, I've made my own heart clean. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. And, and I hope you guys know the answer with this. I don't even have to spend another moment. Nobody. Like, there's not anybody ever, ever in the, in the history of the world could say, I fixed myself. You know, I, I, I made myself clean. I mean, I, I, I saw it, I saw what was wrong, and then I just worked hard at it. That's what I did because that's how this works. Now, we know what the Bible tells us. Uh, we know that we're all sinners. We know that, that when we think about this, we could say, so who could do this? And the answer is none. I think about when uh, Paul gives it to us in the book of Romans, and he just kind of gets to this, you know, lock-solid place in Romans 3 as he's been building to it, and he says, we are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. We come to the place where we recognize uh, we're all in trouble. Uh, there's no place where we're ever comfortable, and, and so Romans does this incredible job in the first three chapters of just bringing us this solid, absolute place of seeing both the depravity of man, seeing the, the brokenness of who we are, and admitting it, and just saying, okay, God, I can't. I mean, I am. I mean, this is where we are. There's none of us righteous. No, not one. That there's no space that we can do this. That there's no space that anybody ever, any space, could fix themselves. 
sad reality is that you know. Uh, the reality for many people in our world, they're trying. Uh, there's, they, they are trying. Where, you know, they, they you know, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to work a little bit harder. I'm just going to try a little harder. I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'll do whatever. I'll, uh, you know, I'm going to stop, you know, doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And so people try it all the time. Uh, all the time people are thinking, well, I could fix myself. I can. Uh, it's one of the fundamental lies that gets behind every religion and every space where people think somehow, you know, I could do this. I could, I could get this. And yet one of the places that he's drawing us to is that we recognize I can't. I can't do this. And yet the great hope is that Romans 3 doesn't end where it ends. It goes on to say, but what you can't do, Christ can do. That what you can't do is you can't make yourself pure. He can. That, that what, he, what you are unable to do, that's why God sent his son to pay the price for our sin, to bring us in powerful forgiveness, that the gospel rescues us. And, and, and the wonder of that begins to work our lives out. But it's a needed space, not only for that place of getting saved, but living your life this way, that really one of the fundamental spaces of the Christian life is coming to a place of, of quit trying to fix yourself, quit trying it on your own, because you can't. I want to say this like really well, and I don't think I'm going to say it as, as clear as I want. See, it's, it's sad outside in the world that there are people that are trying to do this, but maybe it's more tragic that so many Christians are trying to fix their own lives. That so many Christians thought, hey, well, he saved me, and so now it's up to me to fix me. So I should try harder. I mean, and, and so many Christians come to church every Sunday almost with a commitment, I'm going to try harder. That's what I'm going to do. Like, and, and, they, and they make these promises to God, like, God, I'll never do that again. Like, I'm never, and I'm going to work really hard. Like, God, forgive me this time, and I'm going to work harder at it. I mean, I'm really going to try not to lose my temper, and I'm not going to cuss this week. And God, I, I, I'm sorry. And, 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 and so they spend their whole life thinking that that's what Christianity is, where it's not. Where Jesus would look at us and say, you are broken, and you can't do anything without me. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you to let me do it inside of you. I'm, I'm asking you to come to an end of yourself and recognize the only way I'm going to get to heaven is through you know, the, the blood of Jesus Christ who would save me from my sin. And the only way I'm going to be able to do life is I need Jesus' help. I, I need to abide in Christ. I need to walk in him so that my whole life is compelling me into this dependence upon Christ. And, and that, that, you know, that I'm not trying to fix myself. Uh, because again, there is a terrible amount of Christianity that is, that is pretty much just self-help 101. Uh, instead of saying, I need Jesus. I need more of him. I, I need to work in this because he's the one that does this. I mean, I love what we saw back in 1 John uh, for those who are walking with us through that. It says, if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. That he can do what we could never do. That, you know, we can't make ourselves pure. But the blood of Christ the blood of Christ can bring this place where I can be clean and, and work in my life. What an incredible thing. I mean, I don't know if that's exciting to you. I mean, it's just incredibly good news and, and yet so powerful. I found myself thinking about this. I was reading a, a book the other, other day and, and kind of had one of these accounts of John Wesley. And uh, he'd had a place where uh, he had been robbed, where uh, they'd you know, caught up with him a couple, a robber had caught him in a, you know, dark alley, something like that, and, you know, were, was taking his money and, and giving his money, and John Wesley had just looked over and said, hey, one of these days, you need to understand, you know, you're going to come to an end to yourself. I just want to tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from sin, and the guy walked away, took his wallet, took his money. A couple years later, the guy ends up showing up at one of John Wesley's meetings and comes up to says, I'm the guy. 
I don't know if you remember, I robbed you, and you told me. The blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse me from my sin, and I'd never forgot it. It's chased me. It's chased me till it brought me to an end of who I am and brought me to Christ. And it's just powerful good news. It's powerful good news in a world that people so desperately need that. And it's just good for us to come in and say, you know, in the midst of these few Proverbs where he's kind of been asking, you know, there's a lot of people who say they're good, but where will you really find somebody who's good? Well, ultimately, you can't because there's not any that are good. You know, that, that God's judgment will scatter all of that. There's a place where we come into an end of it and say that, that part of what he's telling us here is, is our need to recognize that because that compels us to Christ, that it compels us to what he would have for our lives, and it's what he would long for you to have. Again, I'm just going to speak because I, I think I'm speaking to somebody because you're right, you're, you're almost hearing me you're still tempted to do it. Your Christianity still is a self-help 101 process, and you haven't figured out that is not the way this thing works, that he has not asked you uh, to fix yourself. He's told you, you are broken. You, like, you, you, are, you are so broken that, again, Jesus says it there in John 15, you can't do anything without me. Like you, you, every attempt you do in your, own, in your own strength is marred by your sin, and he's inviting you to say, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, you know, and and, and lean upon me. Come to me and and trust in me. Come to me in that space and watch this doing that. You would come and say, okay, I'm not going to do this because I can't fix myself. I'm not going to make my heart clean. I can't purify my own self, but he can. What I can't do, Jesus does do. And may God just cause you to come to a clear understanding of that incredible reality and be drawn to Christ in powerful ways. All right, well, let's keep going. Verse 10, diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So diverse weights, diverse measures, said simply, we would say this way, cheating both the buyer and the seller. That's kind of the idea of it. You know, that in one sense, you know, cheating, you know, ripping people off on one sense is wrong, but also ripping the, the, the company off, ripping the buyer off. He simply says they're both alike. Like they're both this way that God would look upon it and say, that's an abomination. That's an abomination. Seems like it would be pretty clear, but let's again just talk about the world that we live in. We live in a world that would say, well, yeah, don't rip off the little guy. Don't take advantage of people. But taking advantage of the big government, you should do. Like you could take advantage of the big companies, we should do that. We should rip off all of them that we can. And as if somehow that would be okay. And God says, no, it's not okay. I mean, you're, this, this idea of diverse weights, which would have the idea of, of lies, of deceptions that, you know, in those days you maybe would be going to buy, you know, fruit at some vendor. And so, you know, you'd pull out your, you know, your apples in those days and they didn't have a digital scale. They had weights that they would measure those by so that you could pay it. And a, a deceptive merchant had false weights so that sometimes, you know, he could put on a one pound weight, you know, but it says three pounds. It's like, well, you're going to pay me for three pounds of apples, you know. That's good. It's like, you just lied to me. You just ripped me off, you know. Like, you just, you know, you, and he said, don't do that. Don't do that, but don't do that to, the, the, to, to, to anybody beneath you. Don't do it to the, those over you. It's, it, it, they're in God's eyes, they are both alike wrong. In God's like, they, he would call us not to live that way. It's not okay. And that sense to kind of walk in those things and may God rescue us from even just those spaces of where that would go. All right, you can flip the page over. Verse 11, 
which kind of is tying into all this. Again, these thoughts that are kind of rolling all together in this early section of Proverbs 20. It says, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. It says, even a child, you would recognize that it's not just what you say, it's what you do that defines that, that whether, you know, there would be a part of this that what he does is pure and right. So he's been calling us to righteousness. He's talking about, you know, who can find a, a good man, you know, that, that would, we want to be a blessing to our kids and all of this. And so, but he's just telling us that there is a way that we long to be here because part of the problem is, again, this whole place where everybody proclaims their own goodness, where everybody says, hey, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good the way I am. And yet he says, even on our kid, we'd look and say, well, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. I mean, it doesn't matter how you, I mean, yeah, you might say you're good, but it really matters what you're doing. It, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You know, the proof is in, in the way that it works out. And he's calling us to lives that isn't just like, I'm good. I'm, I'm pure. I'm right. I'm, he's like, no, I want to live genuine good lives. I wanted to, to be there so that even in just the proverb before this, I'm not ripping off anybody. You know, I'm a, I'm a person of integrity. I'm a person that walks in integrity in all of my dealings. And he's calling us to that kind of place where it works its way out of our lives. All right. Well, moving to the next one, verse 12, kind of changing subject. In fact, one that's a little bit challenging to even think through. He says it this way, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. So thinking about how God's designed us, he gave us the ability of sight, he gave us ears to hear. Both of those things, he just simply lets us know God made, God made. Pretty, you know, simple fact, like, you know, they could look at all of creation and say, like, if you did this, it was his idea. I mean, the reason you can see, the reason you can hear, it's a pretty beautiful kind of thing. That said, it's obviously meaning more than that. It's obviously meaning more than that. What does it mean? Well, honestly, there's just a lot. I, I'm not going to walk you through all the different possibilities because there's just a bunch of them. A lot of people see it differently and kind of understand it in different ways. I'm going to give you mine, but I'm just going to let you know right now this is my take, and you can agree or disagree you know, in the midst of everything in Proverbs, he's talking about, you know, how we see and, and gain wisdom and, and how that works. And I just want to say it, that God has made both us to see and to hear. And I would put it to you this way. God wants you to discover things for yourself. He wants you to figure out some of these things for yourself to see, to, to learn, to grow. But he also wants you to be someone that can listen. You know, that, that it's meant to be not an either or, but a both and. And for the person who's growing in biblical wisdom, it needs to grow that way. Said this way, the sad reality is there are Christians, not you guys, other ones, you know, so, um, who, or they do one or the other. Either they've become so, well, unless I can figure it out all by myself, you know, I don't listen to anybody. I don't listen to anybody. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to pastors. I don't listen to teachers. You know, oh, I mean, if I can't read, I, I got to figure it out myself. I got to read it myself. I got to, you know, work it myself. And, and, and that's, that's a dangerous space. But then there's others that, you know, only like listen to other people. Like, well, I, I, I listen to 15 different people. I, you know, I, I have all this stuff. And, and God has made it so that our growth is meant to not, not be one or the other, but both and. That your spiritual growth should be personal discovery, that you see something, that you're reading through the Bible and you're like, wow, like, I saw that, like, like that's mine, it's me and God, like, wow, that was just the Holy Spirit opening up to something that should be there, and then you should be able to come on a Wednesday night and go, okay, I'm listening, I heard that, 
It's not just seeing, it's hearing. It's, it's, it's the spiritual growth. It's a both and. And be, may you just be rescued from ever being only one of those. It's just a dangerous road that I've watched happen in different people's lives where either they you know, have no trust in their own ability to read the Bible and they only listen to other people um, or they're just arrogant and then they, they won't listen to anybody else. Uh, and they just become their own place. And again, there's some interesting passages in the New Testament for that. But simply put, that's my take on it. Again, there's other takes on it. It's an interesting thing, but certainly there is an understanding that God has made us for both, to hear and to see. All right. Let's see. Um, yeah, we're going to try at least a couple more, and that'll probably be our, our end of our evening. Gives us there in verse 13, do not love sleep. Lest you come to poverty, open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. Do not love sleep. Oh, don't misunderstand this. There's other Proverbs and there's other Psalms that tells us that sleep, the sleep of a, of a good man is, is, is something to be enjoyed, and God has made us for sleep. So if you're like, I think I like sleeping, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's not like, you know, don't, the idea is laziness. The idea is don't, don't go beyond, uh, you know, what you need. Don't do that. The idea is, because if you do that laziness, you're going to come to poverty. If all you do is sleep and nap, if that's your life, you know, kind of thing, he says you, you, that will lead to, to an emptiness. He says, open your eyes. Like, get up, you know, wake up and, and, and go to work. There is a space of that. And what a beautiful balance to figure out in life. I, I say it this way both ways, because we probably have some, that you need to sleep more. Uh, you know, we, we, have, we have a culture that for some, it's like, you know, sleep is what you're going to do when you go to heaven. I don't know. It's like sleep is what you do later. Like, I have work to do, and, and you work too much. It's like, you made, he's made us to sleep. Sleeping's a good thing, and it should be. I mean, if, if statistics are right, and, and probably every person's a little bit different, but if statistics are right, the way it works, eight hours of sleep a night, it should be about a third of your life. I mean, it should be there, and, and to rest good is good. But then there are others. It's like, man, it's way beyond that. I mean, like way beyond that, and, 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 and just laziness is a part of it. And she says, wake up, go to work, like do something. Don't let your life just be this place of, of laziness. Open your eyes, and that will give you that which is satisfying. That will give you which is what God has for you. So again, just calling us very simply away from laziness. Verse 14, it is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasts. It's one of those funny proverbs. You know, it's this place where he says, okay, here you hear this person, and it's kind of this place where they're bartering for something, and so they finally agree on the price, and the person who agrees, like, man, you ripped me off. That's just good for nothing. I just I'll buy it anyway kind of thing. And then he goes his way, and he boasts. It's an interesting proverb. Like, well, why is this here? It's obviously not commending this in the sense of it. It's just a part of life. Um, some Bible students have kind of looked at this and said, it's one of those reminders, like this is the world we live in, uh, you know, that because of this lack of integrity, because of this lack of, hey, what you see is what you get, um, so often this is this way, and, and, and not to be surprised by this, and, you know, not to, you know, kind of, you know, walk when, when this is the, the things that you're given, and yet again at the same moment to look at it as kind of an example of what God is calling us away from, because right here in the context around this, he's calling us to be people of integrity, Calling, calling us to be a people that, that treat things right, and yet there is this folly of kind of looking at one's people that would go this way and uh, walk in that. All right, let's do the next one, and we'll end there in verse 15. So flip your page over, and he simply gives it to us this way. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. 
And it's as if you could almost just imagine this. It's as if Solomon would be looking at this and say, okay, over here you could have a pile of gold. You know, over here you could have this multitude of rubies and the value that's there. But, he says, you know, the, the lips of knowledge, to, to, to go in the understanding of things that God has, that's precious. That's a precious jewel. So he said this a number of times throughout the book of Proverbs, but it's a good place for us to end in the midst of this, to, to say, okay, that we would recognize the worth of God's wisdom. We would recognize the, the, the worth of that, that in comparison to dollars and gold or rubies, like this is so much better. I mean, what God has for us is true treasure and, and riches to value those things and to say, you know, to grow in the things of God, to grow in his ways, to walk in the life he has, to see that, you know, as, a, as something that is altogether valuable, altogether precious, altogether in that sense, something uh, to be just, you know, longed for and, and, and walked in. You know, we think about just talking about these things this, this evening, and, and I don't know if that's where it is for you. I don't know, as we walk through these Proverbs, if you would look at them and think, hey, these are trinkets, you know, these are just Proverbs, or if you'd look and say, wow, if I could do that, if I could be that, that those things are, are wisdom and power and understanding and, and to value the things that God would speak into our lives as more valuable uh, than, than money or treasure or worldly acclaim and, and to see those things for what they truly are, just incredible riches that to grow in the things of God are meant to be valued so that both we desire them hold them, keep them, and may it be so for you. May it be so that even tonight, something that's happened in the midst of this, you know, we talked about it at the very beginning, our hope is that both you're growing in understanding of these things, but maybe even one of these things would be something that you'd say, that's valuable. I'm going to have to hold on to that. I need to make sure I kind of appropriate that into my possession. You know, more important would it be to be that person and grow in that kind of space than it would be to, to get a bunch of money that this would be more valuable. May it be so tonight, and may God help you to take that and, and work that you know, into your life. Well, with that, let's close in prayer, asking God's help and work in that. Um, may he just grow as to what he has. Father, we think about this this evening, and we think about your word that speaks truth into our lives, how good that is, how good it is for us to come and recognize God, I, I just want to begin praying for all those who are hearing me in this room and in the overflow and online, and, and it could be that someone right now is outside of Christ, and they are struggling even with the basic understanding that they're not good. That you said, who can, who can fix himself? Who can make himself pure? And that they, these can't. God, for any that are in that space, would you draw them to an end of themselves and draw them to their need of Christ? They would draw them to that place where they would be saved and be rescued. And Lord, I cry out for that right now. But then, Lord, I pray for those of us who are yours. And even though yours, some still trying to live their own life by their own strength and power, as if that's what you wanted, as if that was even possible. Will you tell us it's not? That we need you. We need you for all of it. We can't, we can't do anything good without you. We're made for absolute dependence upon you and, and a life lived with you. God, teach us that. 
teach us to do that. And then help us to live lives that prove that. Jesus, it was said of you that you did everything well. And I love that. I love that and I recognize that is not true of us. Lord, if we could do some things well, that would be amazing. The Lord, draw us more to live the life you have for us by your power and strength. God, draw your truth to be that which we understand, just to value it above earthly treasure and to work into our lives that which you would have for us. Help work that tonight, work that in us and draw us to what you have for us. We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen.